Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. Welcome to today's episode, The Light of Love. In this episode, you'll be hearing the story of author, special education teacher, and mother of five, Arlene Murphy. Arlene had a deep passion for helping others, but as a child of a broken home, she felt a particular calling to reach out and help soothe the pain for other children of divorce. Arlene's son, John, is here to tell us her story. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, James. It's a pleasure to be here. John, I'd like you to start by telling us a little bit about your family history, maybe. Do you know anything about where they came from, where they settled, anything like that? Well, yeah, absolutely. I know part of the story. On my dad's side, my grandfather came from County Fermanagh, a place called Rosley in Northern Ireland. So that's my dad's side of the family. My great-grandmother came over from Italy, and so I am... Irish, Italian, and my mother's father was German. Hence, her maiden name was Schwant. Ah, okay. Did these folks come over in around the turn of the century? Do you know? Yeah, uh, my grandfather came over about 1920. And I think my grandmother, uh, my great-grandmother on the other side came over around around the turn of the century. And did they settle in New Jersey or whereabouts? New York city <laughs> uh, where everybody settles originally right arthur avenue decalb avenue uh, fordham road all that uh, right in that area do you know when they started to or parts of the family at least started to move out to the suburbs well uh, honestly it was my family was the first we moved out to ringwood new jersey we were the first ones to move out and and i'll never forget it I was just turning eight years old and we were going over Skyland Drive and my grandfather, who's a city guy, well, he was uh, from Ireland, but he said, where are we? Are we in God's country? He couldn't believe uh, that we were in the mountains and in rural area because he lived in Parkchester, New York. Ah, okay. He was amazed at us going to the suburbs and my aunt and grandmother, they lived in Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx. So uh, we're Bronx people. So tell us a bit about this Ringwood, New Jersey you're talking about. Ringwood, New Jersey is in uh, northern New Jersey. It's a, a beautiful, I would say, rural suburban area. And we lived in a uh, part of Ringwood called Cupsaw Lake. Uh, a beautiful, beautiful community with great, great friends. And I still uh, keep in touch with many, many of my friends. It, it, is just, it was a great place to grow up sports, great activities. Uh, the summertime, we had uh, leagues and we played other lake communities like uh, Pine Cliff and Erskine Lake and Pines Lake and Wayne. And so it was really great place to grow up. So tell us about your family. Who, how many siblings did you have? Uh, I am the oldest of five. I have a brother, Mike. I have my sister, Donna, my sister, Andrea, and my sister, Laura. So uh, we had two boys and then three girls. Uh, they're all doing well. So you're the oldest. So your parents had to cut their teeth on you, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, actually, no, they, uh, 
they were so busy taking care of the other kids that I got away with a lot more than the younger kids. And uh, so I was the rebel because uh, I, I was the oldest. Uh, my brother's three years younger than me. And then my sister's four years younger. And then my mother was just constantly uh, raising kids. So I kind of became an independent soul. Uh -huh. So sometimes you hear or often you hear that the parents sort of get really strict for the first child. And then as they get more and more tired, the younger children get away with more murder. But yours is the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Because they were so busy with my father was going to school. My mother was home with five kids. You know, it was a tough job. Yeah, they had their hands full. Tell sure. me about your mom. What's her background? Well, my mom was a school teacher and she was a graduate from Lehman College. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, so blessed. Seven, eight years old, I was able to go to the ceremony and I was so proud of her. She, uh, she's very educated. She was uh, just uh, a very unique soul. Really never worked a full job. Uh, after teaching, but she was a editor, a copy editor for the Suburban Trends, a local paper up there. She did articles on old Rhinebeck, which was the old air, uh, World War One airplanes up in Rhinebeck, New York. And I'll never forget my father. And uh, it was 1969, I think. And my mom was going off on one of those Snoopy World War One planes. And there's my father seeing her take off. And he's sitting there with five kids. He's going, what am I doing? My wife is going up in the air. I'm going to be stuck with all these kids if something happens. What is she doing? So tell me something, John. You said that you were about eight years old and you attended her graduation. Was she going to school then while she was raising children? And Yeah, she was going for her master's degree and she got it. And she's just, uh, so she, she graduated Lehman College. That was really an amazing feat, especially with all the kids. Mom was a, a very unique soul, very different, very different kind of person. The more that I miss her, because she passed a couple of years ago, the more I appreciate how beautiful she was. Mm. Her qualities were just almost unearthly, honestly. Yeah. Let's dig into some more memories of your sure. mom. The, I'm sure there were day-to-day -day struggles with that many kids and all the responsibilities. And what are some of your memories of your mom over and above what you've just told me? Well, my mom was like a free spirit and she was very, very deep in her spirituality and she wasn't really a communicator. So she was kind of quiet, I think a little bit misunderstood. She wasn't really worldly in the way she carried herself. And when she passed, I and my brothers and sisters spoke and it was like, you know, we know mom was, loved us and she was great, but she really wasn't a hugger. And I thought it was me. She just didn't hug me, but she really was just not a hugger. And she loved us very much, but she just wasn't a physically a warm person like our dad, but she had some deep, deep spiritual inclinations that really created a peace for our family. She was ahead of her time. I mean, she was doing hydroponic gardening back then. She was really interested in natural food and she was always uh, ahead of her time. And now that I've grown older, I really appreciate what a, a pioneer she really was. Yeah, I know sometimes somebody, if they're not a hugger, may be misinterpreted that they're not warm or that they don't love you as much because they're not hugging you. A little confusing for a kid, you know. 
when we all talked about it and we all had the same feelings, we all kind of felt better because we all thought we were the odd one out. <laughs> oh, that was, she was the same way with you, huh, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> probably compare notes, right? Exactly. <laughs> now, what type of gardening did you mention again that she was interested in? She was into hydroponic gardening. She was growing vegetables in water, uh, hydroponic, uh, hydroponically, like she had trays. And then we had a garden in the backyard. And this was uh, before gardening really became a, a craze again. It was kind of a lost art form in the late 60s. And uh, she had a garden in the back. I just know that having this fresh vegetables and fruits, I didn't really appreciate it back then. She grew strawberries. And she just was, uh, she was a unique person that was really misunderstood by most people back then. I guess when you're a little kid, you're not thinking about hydroponically grown vegetables. You're thinking about scooter pies and ring dings, right? Yes. And you who And you, -hoo. <laughs> and you <-hoo. laughs> don't be, don't forget the malt balls. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So as far as your dad, what was he like when you were growing up? Uh, my dad was always the dominant force in our family. He was the provider as a traditional male-female relationship. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. He worked for Standard Oil and was a sales executive. And he was doing okay. He was also going to school full-time to get his college degree. And he was in the reserve, the Army Reserves, which he would go to Fort Dix, I think, once a year or twice a year. All I know is in my younger years, my dad was not around that much because he was really, really working his job and he was working for school and he was just exhausted all the time. I missed him. And that was one of the things in my journey to becoming a, an adult was I realized that I, I miss my dad a lot in the early stages of my life. So he was going to school. What was he studying in school, by the way? Uh, sales, I believe, marketing, business for the most part. Okay, business. So he was going to school, he was in the reserves, and he's working full time, a house full of children. Your mother went to school. Yeah. And where was their time to sleep and eat, I guess? <laughs> well, my mom didn't go to school at the same time. After we moved to Ringwood, he was doing that in the city. My dad was going to get his degree for a very specific purpose. Uh, he had an opportunity to get into Procter & Gamble, which is a, a blue chip company, a great stability for him and our family. And that's when we were able to move to Ringwood. He also went further and became a unit manager. And he created a really nice retirement plan for himself. And he was able to retire at 53 and he got like two years of full severance. So he's been retired a long time, but during, he was a P&G guy. Really? So approximately when did he move then from Standard Oil to P&G? Was it? Was it, it was right around the early 70s, like 1970. So he ended up working where he aspired to work. He was really looking to secure his security for his family and for himself in the future. And Procter & Gamble was a very esteemed company to work for. And he was an amazing sales guy. He was always the number one guy, just had a great career. And he actually still keeps in touch with people 20 years later, 25 years later, 30 years later, really. 30 years later. So tell me about your dad's personality a little bit. Well, he, um, I know this is a family show. He's a big BS in Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very warm and loud guy. He was a dominant force because of all his pressures. A lot of times he would lose his temper back in the day. 
My mom was always the calm one. He was a wonderful dad as far as, and he still is a wonderful dad, but back when we were growing up, when he would be home, he would play baseball with us and he would hit fly balls down at EGU at school. And uh, he would throw the ball pretty hard and you better catch that ball. You're going to get some, you're going to get a bloody nose or lost teeth. And he made me a better player. And, and my brother too, he, he always challenged us. He never babied us, but he always used to come down at the end of the day. And he used to say, I love you. And he would always give us a hug. Kind of like what a mom would usually do, but my mom was probably tucking kids in or doing diapers or something, but he was a warm guy to this day. My dad gives a, a card and a gift to everyone in our family on their birthday. I mean, everyone, his kids, his grandkids, his in-laws, he has about 25, 30 people that he sends a small token of, of his love. Nobody really wants it. In fact, I still have his check. We don't cash his checks. He doesn't know it, but we don't cash his checks because we just are grateful, but he never forgets anybody. He is the guy that always said, you got to stick together. Friends are fleeting, families forever. I'm very happy to say our family's pretty close, probably closer than we ever were, not geographically, but mentally. <laughs> you know, this uh, podcast is about storytelling and getting back into the art of storytelling, particularly in families. And I think another art that has been lost is actually writing cards and letters to each other. Yeah. And we're guilty of it ourselves. We used to send out probably 50 Christmas cards every year, and now it's down to zero. And it's mostly wishing people via text or Facebook or something like that. But yeah. there are still people like your dad and others who give that extra personal touch and just getting that card in the mail. Just Sometimes it just touches you a little deeper than just yeah. in the mail. He was and is a meticulous person to remember people's anniversaries, their birthdays, and he's really instilled a, a great sense of family togetherness. Uh, sometimes uh, it was a little overbearing, but, you know, but, and he went through a really tough 13 year journey with my mom at the end of her life, really became a hero. Yes. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that in a minute. I just want to talk more about the dynamics of this family with all these children and education and job growth different personalities going on in your house. I mean, how did your parents make this work? They both had different roles. They both had different personalities. How did that work between them that you saw? Well, you know what? We were a typical, you know, suburban American family. We had the big station wagon, the blue, we used to call it the big blue bomb, you know, the seat that went facing the other way in the back. And Barsic? Yeah, yeah, a little, little shaky, a little shaky. <laughs> And, and so my dad was the, the provider, he worked. And the more that he was able to work at home when he became a unit manager, we saw him a lot. And he was always in his, he was always working, but you know, he was able to be around more as we were growing up for some of the time. So the dynamic between my mom and my dad, while we were growing up was almost like, it was just a constant assault of life hitting them. And I mean, just really, and my mom was quiet and my dad was overbearing and my dad was always, you know, hustling. And my mom was always telling him to calm down and to be nicer. And, you know, he, he was hyper and she was calm and somehow some way it worked. And then when they were done with their child rearing, they really became like a really, really great couple mm. together together. Now your mom, you mentioned she was 
you know, a little bit more quiet and reserved and obviously peace loving. She liked to keep it peaceful, but she also had a deep love and care for not only her family, but she had a deep concern for children of divorce. She wrote a book called The Light of Love. And I'd like you to start by telling us how was your mom inspired to write that book? Well, that's a really great question. And I have a very specific answer, actually. And the answer is, is that my mom was a child of divorce back in the 40s and the 50s. That was unheard of. I mean, people that maybe didn't like each other, but they stuck together, especially Catholic families, you know, Christian families, they, nobody would ever get divorced. But my grandfather, Howard Schwant, uh, he was in Walla Walla, Washington, and he was kind of a, a eclectic guy. And he was an inventor. In fact, he invented the ski binding as we know it today and the, the side one, uh, but he never patented it and he lost it. And he was always a, an inventor. I only met him once in my life at Empire State Building. My mom introduced me to him and he was an inventor. It was an inventor show, but he was not really a, a good father. He was an absent father. My grandmother was his second of five wives. So he was a player. And he really wasn't there. My grandmother was a beautiful lady that moved out to Walla Walla, Washington from the Bronx. And she was trying to raise a family. And my mom would be home as an infant and she would send him out to go get milk from my mom. And he would go to a dance and take somebody else out. And he just was, it just wasn't sustainable. And so my mom really felt a void in her life. Her father really let her down. And that's why she actually turned to God. She turned to God because that was the one in her mind, the one man she could count on. She developed a relationship very early in life. So my mom's book is entitled The Light of Love, but the subtitle is called Hope for Children of Divorce. She really was a child of divorce, and but my grandfather was not really a good guy. And so she and my grandmother moved back to New York, and they moved in with my aunt, my Aunt Mamie. And their mom, uh, Grandma Nooch, direct off the boat. She didn't really speak much English, but they raised my mom. And they had the every Sunday dinner, the big Italian dinner and relatives over. And she had a good life, but it wasn't a life with a, a male presence. And she had that longing and it was a sadness. And so she turned to God and she knew that God would never let her down. He never did. And so that's where she really got into the reasons that people get divorced, the selfishness of the way people think, the fears that they have, and, and really the damage that's done to the children. And she wanted to give them hope that they're not alone. Her book is just a beautiful overview of her life and the way she looks at her life. We're so blessed that we have that book. And we really can't thank my mom for that. She wrote it, but my dad published it. That's the rest of the story. I mean, obviously, I think there's different situations with divorce. I think sometimes it's very amicable and the kids seem to do well. And then there's other situations like the one with your mom and, and others where it can get rough. It can get difficult. There can be bad feelings. There can be absentee parents. There could be fights that come and maybe the kids might even get caught in between. She didn't have any of that. Right. She just was detached. He just not there. Well, he was living in Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, my mom was on the East Coast. In fact, my mom has a chapter in her book called The Secret on My Face. 
And that secret was that she was ashamed that her parents were divorced. Aww. She was ashamed she didn't have a dad because everybody else had a dad. Where's my dad? My mom told me, or and my grandmother told me of a time that I guess at one of Venture shows, uh, when she was six or seven years old, her father knocked on the door. She was in a room and her mom said, hey, your dad's here. He wants to see you. And she said, well, if he wants to see me, my picture's on top of the TV. He can see me there. She was really. She had no father. So that's how my father was like her daddy. And he always took care of her. He had to deal with my aunt and grandmother because they were overbearing Italian relatives and he was Irish and, you know, even Irish Italian right now seems very normal back then, you know, that's like the other side of the tracks. He was an Irish guy. What are you doing with an Irish guy? Why aren't you not with an Italian guy? <laughs> that was not uncommon back then. Stay with inside your tribe. So your mom found within your dad, someone who's going to be there for her and always be there and take care of her. And he always did. He was always there. He was always a steady guy. He always kept his family together. He was the one that planned vacations. He was the one that did all those things because my mom really wasn't capable of those kind of worldly things. She was really like, you know, just a, a free spirit. You know, she just was dealing with life as it came. Father's greatest gift to us is that he made memories for all of us. Yes. And I'm thinking about your mom that she could have looked at it this way. Look, I made it through. Her mom stepped up, her aunt, her, her grandma stepped up, and she did okay and all that. But she wanted to give back. She wanted to give something via this book that could be helpful and comforting to other children and other families who faced broken families and to point them towards a peace that they could have. So it sounds like your mom... She may not have been the, the huggy, touchy-feely. She may have been a little bit quiet, but she had this deep care and love for others. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. She was a, a loving soul. She cared about the downtrodden. She was really a great, decent person. She had a good life. It was devoid of a male presence. And she had that longing because remember, Back then, divorce was not common. So she was really felt ostracized and different than anybody else. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why maybe she was a little more reclusive in her communication. She did take the time to write the book and she wrote the book. It took her a few years and she had all these notes and she had it all ready to go. And then she got sick and she never published the book. Okay. Okay. Now, so she did her job. She wrote the book. She got her story out. It's a great story. It was edited pages, you know, typewriter pages and so forth, but she never got it published. Yeah. That brings us to the next part of the story, John. Okay. So when did your mom get sick? It's uh, I'm not exactly sure, but she went through 14 years of sickness. Uh, she started out, she got leukemia. And she was given a drug to take care of her type of a CML. She had a certain leukemia that was very rare. So she took this drug that cured her of the leukemia, but we believe that it gave her something called PSP, supernuclear palsy, which is 
basically part of the Parkinson's family. It affects your body, but it does not affect your brain. So over time, she became trapped in her own body. She lost her ability to walk, talk, take care of herself, and also to eat. That was, a, I'm not even going to talk about that now because that's the next chapter of her journey. But I'll just say she was on a feeding tube for over five years. And it oh, uh, was a big decision that they both made. So she went from this person that my father retired early. They traveled the world. They went to Rome. They went to Alaska. They had a wonderful, wonderful decade. And I'm so glad that, you know, a lot of times people say, well, why would you, why would you retire so early? You're a young man. Well, God has a lot of, has a bigger plan. And they spent that time. They had a wonderful time and traveled the world. Then my mom got sick. She started falling down. She lost her balance. They didn't know what happened. And uh, so anyway, uh, this PSP is a slowly degenerative disease that does not, there is no cure for it. And so uh, when my parents moved to the villages in Florida, which is a great place, she got sick right away. She really started declining. We saw her go from not being able to really walk to not being able to talk. And then she just basically became a recluse inside her own body. The, the sad part is, is that it didn't affect her brain at all. So she was fully aware and conscious of the fact that she was trapped inside her body. And she gave so much people some hope. And she gave people so much amazement at how graceful she was through this period. So earlier in the final stages, not really the final stages, because she lived another 10 years, but four years into her disease, my father said, you know, I want to give Arlene something special for her 70th birthday. And he got the book published. He surprised her on her 70th birthday with her book. And he did the artwork and uh, the artwork is a lighthouse. And my mother was always talking about the light of love is God, go to the light. And so it was just an amazing gift that he gave to her and he got it published and he got out there and it's still out there right now. If you go to Amazon, the light of love by Arlene J. Murphy is still available. And if you or anybody, you know, is actually got a kid of divorce or you're going through a divorce or your parents went through a divorce, it's a good read, even though it's, you know, it's an older book now, but she really captured so much of the journey of how kids are the victims of divorce more than anything. Mm -hmm. And so that's uh, my dad was the, uh, the man that made it happen. Then they, they had their 50th wedding anniversary. She was really starting to decline. They had a big party in the villages. And then my mom got sick to the point where she couldn't swallow. You lose the function to swallow. And so she had a decision to make. She was going to die. And my dad, who was a sales guy for Procter & Gamble, as you know, he said, John, the greatest sale I ever did was convincing this doctor to give mom feeding tube. And they had a big discussion about it. A lot of people were very much against it. Just, you know, you believe in God. Why don't you just go to heaven? <laughs> okay. Get it out of this. I mean, it's done. Life is over. But I want to talk about the love that he had for my mom was always there. But when she got sick, he made it his life mission to the detriment of a lot of areas of his health, his relationships with his grandchildren, and his whole life, he was focused on keeping my mom alive and praying for a miracle. She outlived every expectation. She was in a Parkinson's group down in the villages. There were 40 people there when she started. She was the last of the 40 to die. 
I mean, I used to go and say, I'm going to visit my mom. And people would say, didn't your mom die like three years ago? I'm like, no, I'm sorry. She's still here. You know, like, I mean, it was like crazy that she was still here. And she used that to bring people closer and to show the grace and elegance of any affliction that you have is something that you can overcome if you believe in a higher power. I know she is sitting right next to God and she is in heaven. She was ready to go 10 years ago. My father was not ready for her to go. And I believe she stayed alive longer than she wanted for her husband and her family. And a funny story, right? This is a story. The priest at my mom's ceremony when she passed said, Arlene told me that she would stay alive just long enough to make Jim a great man. And it only took 10 years. <laughs> and so uh, it was a total role reversal. My dad uh, waited hand and foot on my mom. He would do things, things like he didn't want her to get bed sores. She was bedridden really for years. And he would actually go in with the caretaker. He would change her. He would, he would take a blow dryer and he would blow dry her. And then he would put vitamin E and aloe vera on so she would never get bed sores. I mean, there would be no bed sores in this country if every nursing home would adopt my father's standard of care. It wasn't until the very end where she literally had no muscle left. She outlived her body. And that's the problem of forcing somebody to have nutrition. When do you stop? She had a really tough last few months. You know, we were all relieved when she passed. I was one of the folks that gave uh, a eulogy. And I said, you know, mom did this for us. Because if she would have died in a plane crash or a car accident or of a heart attack, we would be wailing, so upset. But we're all relieved. We're so glad that she's at peace. And she was so comfortable with going. It was not a sad occasion. In fact, I felt closer to my mom after she passed because she wasn't physical. She was spiritual. And I found myself talking to my mom and getting guidance from her and talking to my brothers and sisters about how she was. And you don't realize how beautiful and special your parents are until they're gone sometimes. Thankfully, my dad's still here and he's doing well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, that is such a heartwarming story to know that, well, first of all, the blessing that your dad was able to retire at 53 years old. It's amazing. Uh, he worked hard. I mean, he, he, uh, he earned his stripes with all his hard work, but that he was able to make the decision to retire and that they were able to see the world and travel together before she got sick. And then that he had the time to be with her more than time. He had this tremendous heart uh, for his wife, for your mom. Yeah. And that is just, a, that's just an absolutely beautiful story. I just want to know about your dad now, after your mom passed, what's his life like now? Well, it was really a tough journey. His whole purpose was taking care of my mom. So we worried that he was going to die right after she died. He was 50 pounds overweight, diabetic, anemic, high blood pressure, obese. He had purple legs, varicose veins. Not good. Not good. I'm a healthy longevity passion person. And I said, dad, you're not going to make it. You got to make it. And he's like, Oh, I'll take care of myself. But he he was in mourning. He still misses my mom tremendously, but he's, he's lives in the villages and he's got friends and he's going out all the time until COVID hit. 
And then when COVID hit, he self-isolated because let's face it, he's in a high risk category, right? Over 80, diabetic, anemic, on all kinds of meds. He decided once he was self-quarantined in March that he was going to use the time to change his diet and to get in shape. And I'm proud to report to you that he's lost over 45 pounds, close to 50 pounds at one time, but he lost 45 pounds. And what he did was he stopped drinking soda and white processed foods. He started eating more salads and had salmon as his protein and chicken, but he changed his whole diet. I'm so proud of him because now he's 196, 697 pounds. And he's down to his fighting weight. Yeah, almost. And, and, you know, and he said to me, he said, John, he goes, uh, the doctor says I don't have diabetes anymore. Type two diabetes. Wow. I mean, I mean, amazing. So the moral of this story is if anybody in your family is older and you think that it's past their opportunity to get better. One of my sayings, one of my slogans is it's never too late until it's too late. And my dad's living proof of that. And so he's cut his meds in half. He can tie his own shoes now. He has got more energy. Listen, he would say, come over here. He wasn't able to tie his shoes. He was really that bad. But he always had a young spirit, a young mind. And uh, I think that God is giving him another couple of chapters to enjoy. And I have a little health business called Make 100 Healthy, which is about living to 100 years. So I would use, you know, little like ploys like that. You can't die because you're going to move. You're going to mess up my whole marketing plan. <laughs> and I would say stuff like that just to try to get him to take it seriously. And thankfully he has. And just going back the way he took care of my mom, it wasn't just the medical care. It was the love. He had this little, this little uh, doll. It was a little statue doll and he would put it up to her and he would click it. It would say, I love you. And he would play music for her. And he just tried to make her life the best that he could. I will tell you from my bottom of my heart, he taught me really what it meant to be a real man. Being a real man was taking care of your family and sacrificing. And boy, he overdid it and did it to a way that um, unbelievable. So today he's getting ready for the next phase of his life. He's still, you know, pretty much hanging out by himself. He's now on Zoom calls. We're doing Zoom calls as a family. And January 1st of this year, my wife and I celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And so I surprised her. And then I told her, of course, before. But we, we, we took our vows. And because we did it on Zoom, the pastor was remote. And I was able to invite my whole family from afar on New Year's Eve. My father, of course, <laughs> at the end, he says, oh, hey, hey. He goes, I'd like to give a toast. He goes, as your father, I think I've earned that right. Of course, the, the Irish guilt. And so, so, so uh, he gave a nice, I said that, you know, the party's over at midnight because he can talk. And so uh, he did a nice and short and sweet toast. And he's just been, I keep in touch with him almost every day now. And uh, I'm just so blessed that, that he's still here. And he's, uh, he's just a great patriarch of our family. That is such a, that is a really beautiful story, uh, right from starting back about the, you know, what, I forget the term you used about life kind of being fired at you. They had the, the two of them were taking different roles and he was working and she's raising the kids and they're running around with their hair on fire. They were assaulted uh, by everyday life. Assaulted by everyday life. I love that. Can I use you that? Can coin that. Yes, you can. Please. Oh, good. 
I don't have to pay a royalty on it or anything like that. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> I think many of us are assaulted by life, but the depth of love that your dad had for your mom, he still does. Obviously, he still does have that love for her, but also her love for her family, for him, and for children of divorce. I did want to ask, what do you think your mom would have wanted her legacy to be? I think that her legacy is that she was a child of God, that she was a pure soul, that she only wanted the best for people, that she saw what was called back then humanism. She saw the movement away from spirituality and a very secular lifestyle. And she said something to my father once. She said, you know, the world's going to change when right is wrong and wrong is right and up is down and down is up. And unfortunately, we're at that crossroads right now. So she was, she was a very big visionary and she saw the big picture and she just did not care about money. She didn't even know. My father said, mom knows, doesn't know. She didn't know whether I had $10 in the bank or a million dollars. She never cared. She just wanted to be with her family and to, to be able to basically do good. She was always helping others to the point where a lot of our kids, you know, my fellow, my brothers and sisters were like, Hey, what about us? <laughs> but uh, she, she just had that kind of spirit. I'll tell you another funny story about my mom that, Back in the 70s, uh, the comet, the Kohotek, remember that? Do you remember Kohotek? It was a comet that was supposed to hit the Earth. Uh, and, faintly, and faintly. Kohotek was the, it was, it was really going to hit the Earth. She went around telling everybody, warning everybody to don't look up at the sky. And, you know, this thing, you know, she was really very serious about it. But, of course, thank God, it never hit the Earth. And so everybody thought she was a little... He was a little off, you know, that Arlene Murphy, she's a little out there, but you know what? She only meant well, and she went with her passions and her convictions. And I, I'm very proud, uh, uh, humble to say that. I think that that's one of the characteristics or some that I picked up and all my brothers and sisters picked up, you know, different perspectives. The, my father was the, the, the sales guy and he was the everyday guy. My mom was the spiritual person. And, Somehow it worked. Oh, John, I'm so happy that I'm speaking with you because I'm inspired and I'm sure our listeners will be as well. Oh, thank and you. And so, John, I understand you've started a podcast about health. Can you tell us about that? Oh, boy, I, I'd be glad to. I have the Healthy Longevity Show, and it's all about living a balanced life. It's not just physical, mental, spiritual, financial social, environmental, and really it's about being able to implement the best practices in all the areas of life. So of course, nutrition is where it all starts. Mm -hmm. And then of course you have physical movement and exercise, and then you have your mental clarity and your, your competence and your, your demeanor. And then of course you have your spirituality, whether you believe in a higher power or God, this is something that is very important. Whether you think that the ocean is your higher power, the point is that it is good for your soul. It's good for your mind. Financially, so many people are devastated. So we look at ways to plan for the future. I'm not a financial guy. We're just giving best tips. And of course, the environmental factors are very, very big. The greatest predictor of longevity, social connection, just like this. Mm. If you feel that somebody loves you, if you feel that you're cared for, you're going to live longer. 
So to live a long life is to be able to eat right, to exercise, to be able to keep your mind and spirit together, to be able to, you don't have to be rich, but you need to be aware of your financial situation and plan for the future. And you need to protect yourself from different products that are harmful to you. And finally, you need to stay connected with your family, friends, your community, your faith, and all those things together is what really makes up my mission to help us make 100 healthy. I'm the, I'm your make 100 healthy guy. And it's the healthy longevity podcast. And here in Prescott, Arizona, where I'm from, I have a different version of the same thing. It's called the well-being wisdom series, where I interview local experts and all these different areas of well-being. I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to share uh, my passions, my insights on our physical health, our immune system, and building our immune system has never been more important. Wow. Thank you so much. It sounds like a good recipe for good health and longevity. And I've heard one of your episodes where you spoke with your dad, and I was very <laughs> moved by it. And I know you had such a really tremendous, two tremendous role models in your life. Yes. And I, you know, I think you're very blessed with that. And you're trying to give that back to others as your mother did to those people who went through divorce, children of divorce like she was. John, I really want to thank you for being a guest on our podcast. I wish you the very, very best, you and your family. And tell your dad I said hi. He's a man I think I'd really like to meet someday. James, thank you so much. And uh, God bless you. And it's a pleasure to be here and to share a little bit about my story and my history with my family. <laughs> okay, John, I really enjoyed having you as our guest today. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. So, for all of our listeners, keep discovering and telling stories that inspire you and others. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. Please subscribe, share, and check out our website at yourhistoryyourstory.com for episode notes and bonus content. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.